Behind the distinctive priest's collar, the sign of his permanent devotion to holy orders, many realities can be obscured. When a Catholic sees a priest, they think, Father. They may think of him as their parish's shepherd, the spouse of the church. Many may see a spiritual refuge, a mediating agent, a performer of sacred rituals, at times, someone starkly different from laypeople. But behind the altar and the collar, in the rectory is a man very much like you and I, from families like ours, born of parents who rocked them and prayed for them, and called them things like, This is Marky, little yeah. Mark. Known to parishioners of St. Fabian in Farmington Hills as associate pastor, Father Mark Tebai. This is Father Mark's dad and mom, Mark and Susan. He is absolutely Father Mark up there, and when he comes home, it's we just look, sometimes him and his siblings, we just look at each other and it's like, it's Mark. It's Mark. Coming in singing. Mark's here. Being silly, you know, making jokes. Quoting movie quotes. You turning know, on the Lions game. Yeah. You know, that Walk, kind of thing. Walks in, walks through. Hi, Mark. Nice to see you. The <laughs> Lions are playing, so they watch TV. They haven't dropped out of heaven somewhere. This is Gail Laginus, mother of Monsignor Todd Laginus, former rector president of Sacred Heart Major Seminary and current pastor of Our Lady of Good Counsel Parish in Plymouth. They do have a mother and dad and family, but you do give up that because they have to be for all people. You know, they have to be first for all people. They're human. <laughs> They're, yeah, get, get to know them. This is Amy Rowland, mother of Father Kevin Rowland of St. Thecla Parish in Clinton Township. To Amy, Gail, Mark, Susan, and the other parents of priests, a father he may be, but he will also always be their son. Today on Detroit Stories, we interview the people who knew the men behind the collar first. Welcome to Detroit Stories, a podcast on a mission to boldly share the stories of the people and communities in Southeast Michigan. These are the stories that fascinate and inspire us. This episode is brought to you by Angela Hospice, helping families provide the best care possible for the people they love. Visit us at askforangela.com. I mean, I had this one woman come up to me at mass and she just grabbed my hand and kissed me and told me she was so honored to meet me. And I thought, what? And and I said, I don't understand. And she said, yes, you do. I thought, I really don't. <laughs> and she said, it's because you're a mother of a priest. This is Anne Heenan, the mother of Father Grayson Heenan, associate pastor of St. Andrew Parish in Rochester. Oh my gosh, you know, don't look up to me that much. I, I, I don't deserve it. You feel like you, you, because people look up, look over at you and think, okay, you know, they must have done something so fantastic. And you think, no, no, I didn't. For the parents of priests, Reactions from people can be a mix of awe and curiosity. Catholics in particular will say, oh my goodness, you know, oh, how wonderful. You know, you must have been just this great parent. And you think to yourself, you scratch your your head and you think, not really, not any better than than you. But um, often people are just shocked. This is Anne Rowland again. When we hear people say, we don't want our boys to become priests because they're not going to get married. They're not going to, you know, be a this. And Gail Laginus. Well, what are you going to do? You don't, you're not going to have grandchildren. They'll say, well, you mean he can't marry? Uh, You know, you know, what does this mean? So he can, you know, retire when he's 70 and can he marry then? (laughs) But all these responses they hear fail to get at the heart of what it means to be a parent of a priest. Because like all parenthood, It's a seismic love and a heart-piercing sword 
that can scarcely be put into words. And like priests themselves, it's as complex and varying as they are. For Father Kevin's parents, Amy and Paul, their son's call to priesthood was hardly surprising. Here's Paul. Actually, I had known since he was two, he was called to be a priest. Um, I had a feeling, but also I have a friend who um, the Lord talks to um, and in inspires, and she felt very strongly that he was called to be a priest, and she told me that, and I felt the same, same thing. I did not tell him that because he had to discern that. And when he told me, I said, I've been praying for your vocation every day since you were two years old. We both had this happen to us, but we didn't kind of talk about it. Here's Amy. When I was holding him as a baby, and Paul is part of a religious order, um, which is run by Father Jack Fabian, and the words that came to me was, this is Father Jack's replacement. And it wasn't so much literally Father Jack, but I took it as your son will also be a priest. And as I said, that I, I was holding him as a baby at that time. Neither one of us really shared with Kevin any of that, probably until after he was ordained. So when Kevin told them about his decision to enter seminary, far from unnerving, it felt like the long-awaited answer to prayer. I wasn't shocked at all. I was, I was glad and joyous um, that he was responding to the Lord's call. I prayed for all three of them to be priests. If, they, if God wanted them all, that's what I wanted for them too. For Gail Laginus, her son's answer to the call to the priesthood was also the answer to what she'd been praying for for all three of her sons for many years. Yeah, I got one. <laughs> and we're thrilled. Well, the first time he approached me is I had all boys, and they had to do dishes. And it was his turn doing dishes that night. And he says, Mom, I think I want to be a priest. He was 11th grade. Let's sit down and talk. <laughs> <laughs> Yeah, I was really thrilled because we also had prayed. I, I remember Todd when he was little, and I always thought he might be. He used to always be on his knees praying. When I'd go by his bedroom door, he was always on his knees praying. So those were a couple of the little things that I thought maybe he would be a priest. But not all the parents interviewed had as much time to process their son's decision. Grayson was probably about 12. He was attending St. Paul's School just up the road here. And he said, you know, Mom, everyone loves Father Bob. This was Father Bob McCabe, who was the associate pastor there at the time. He said, you know, I think I wouldn't mind becoming a priest. And we both kind of looked at each other and thought, oh, wow, that's an interesting thing to say for a 12-year-old man, a young boy. Um, Anyhow, he occasionally talked about the priesthood after that, but um, not all that often. This is Father Grayson's father, Rusty. He didn't tell us that he had applied to the seminary until the spring term of his senior year in college. And that's, uh, he, had, he had lined up a year's missionary work with a French group called Hearts Home, and he was going on that after he graduated from college that spring, that early summer. And uh, that, that was the first time he told us that he had 
applied to the seminary and was hoping to pursue a career, a calling uh, in the church. Well, we were really proud of his decision, um, but we were both rather shocked. Anne and Rusty had not had a decades-long intuitive sense about priesthood for their son. They had been spending his life picturing his future wife, his children, their grandchildren. Their daughter Elizabeth imagined cousins for her little ones. And these sacrifices weighed heavy on the hearts and minds of his family. Uh, and following shock is, you know, a period for me of sadness, and that was actually quite profound. I, I think I cried for three months. <laughs> I tried not to let him see it because I wanted to support his decision, but I, I know he could sense it in my, um, you know, in my, my, the way I acted. Anyhow, it's funny because I've run into this with other parents of priests. You, you have your dreams for your child, and that dream for you, ha that dream has to die. And it sounds odd to say that, but it, you go through a little grieving process because the idea of having a daughter-in-law and, and grandchildren, it's, it's dashed, and you just, you, there's a sort of grieving period that you go through, at least I did, and I've talked to other mothers who have as well, that you just finally have to just, you know, let that go. That sadness certainly resolved, and um, when we met other, this, other seminarians, um, you just saw the joy in them and the fun in them and got to know some of the other parents, and it was a really delightful experience, and that sadness was just totally gone. For Mark and Susan Tebai of Monroe, priesthood had always seemed like a possible path for their son Mark, the oldest of their eight children, who mentioned it occasionally growing up. If it was going to be anybody, it would be Mark. His personality um, leaned towards a more contemplative side of him, where he was, you knew he had an interior life going on. It's, you could see that in him. Um, he didn't seemingly, other than he likes his toys and that, he, he doesn't dwell on uh, money and, you know, values of things and making that important, you know, that's just not, it never was what he was about, you know, so that kind of thing. So while they were prepared for this path in theory, reality hit them hard when they dropped him off at Sacred Heart Seminary. Well, I can say that when it really hit home was when we dropped him off at the seminary and we was driving away, he was standing there, was actually pretty, I was sad, you know, because it's the first, he was our oldest. We was leaving him behind, he was gonna be in the Detroit area and then just looking around the Detroit area, it was pretty run down around there, it was just, it was, it was a little, it was a little heartbreaking breaking feeling, but at the same time, I know it was a good thing, that type of, of feeling. It was just different. Adjusting to the thought of seminary is one thing, but adjusting to your son as a priest is another, and it has its own unique set of sacrifices. Just like with marriage, the slightly emptier nest comes with the recognition that the family you once cultivated is eclipsed by the family your son is now shepherding. As your son lays prostrate before the altar and church, his bride, parents reckon with their new role as a parent of a priest. One of Kevin's, it was one of his classmates, is Father Yerne from Slovenia. And he was ordained up in the Upper Peninsula. And his parents came from Slovenia 
they don't speak very <laughs> much you say? They don't speak much English. <laughs> but I can remember after his ordination and I went over to his mom and just kind of we held hands and I said to her, There's nothing like being the mother of a priest. She kind of and she just looked at me and she understood and we both just were tearing up because it didn't matter language. what language it was or whatever, but, but yeah, it was, we shared that. It was a great joy. Um, I look at it as that was Kevin's marriage. He was married to the church, and that was his great special day. Um, it was the completion of what he's been called to do, fulfilling his vocation, and it was the, the start of the priesthood and the end of the seminary life. And, um, it was just a great, great joy. Well, Todd, you know, on that final day or days, he was back from Rome and he had his little nephew in his hands, the only one we had at the time. And he said, this I'll never have, but I've got something more special in the priesthood. So he was just cradling that little guy. And Parents of priests get to revel in their son's work in a special way. A pride that comes from knowing the hallowed path their sons trod is a path of utmost sacrifice and significance. People come up to us after Mass and they just, you know, he's so great, he's such a terrific priest, we love him, we have him over for dinner, he's so good with our kids. And and you think, well, you're very grateful to hear it and, and you, you tell them they're very kind to say it. It's funny because when you hear it for the 1,500th time, you still remain grateful and still are happy. I'm proud of him as far as, yeah. and still fairly amazed that it's like, this is smart. You know, it's, I know, it's still coming to grips with it sometimes because we don't get to go to like his parish very often because it's usually at least an hour away where he's assigned. Mm -hmm. So, but when we do, and we listen to his homilies and, and experience the mass with them, it's just like, yeah. it's awesome. And, and I get his bulletins. I get St. Fabian's bulletins in my inbox. And I read his bulletin articles and I just go, wow, I know you're... I'm like, I just, I go and I tell his dad, I'm like, you, you've got to read Mark's article. Mm -hmm. It's like, I just, I am, I am very proud of him and I just go, wow. Another great joy is seeing your son help others. And, and the ways that they encourage others, help others, when either through uh, death of a death someone and they are doing funeral preps, or someone who's sick, or the joy of a baptism, or a joy of a wedding, just to see your son there at special times in people's family and, and how, how they help those families um, either through trials or joys. But with this pride in the men their sons have become, comes a persistent letting go of the little boys that used to trample dirt, noisily play music, or press Crayola works of art to refrigerators in their homes. He will come home on Christmas, he'll come home on Thanksgiving, he'll come home on Easter, but it's only after the very, you know, the very last Mass and he's helped the other, whether it's him or the other priest, clean up and, and you know, arrange things and everybody wants to chat with them after Mass. They do come home, uh, but often, you know, they've got the mass the next morning so sometimes they can spend the night at home and other times they're they're back in the saddle and they're they're heading out you know on a cold christmas night back to the 
the rectory. And, you know, that's that's hard. You want to have them a little more. And, you know, family family vacations up, up north at the cabin, you know. They can only come for a few days because they just, they're so busy. Having a priest in the family comes with some unique perks. They can do mass right at your house. This table has been our altar for several, many masses. So that, that is an awesome, awesome gift. Yeah. I would say one of the one of the greatest joys, if not the the greatest, is to be able to have mass um, just in your home with you know with your family, and to just really um, treasure the awesome gift of the mass and being able to have that on a personal basis, right right in your own home. You're gonna have special blessings all the time. It seems like for everything, you know. Remember when I was real sick, he'd tuck me in and. And and do a special blessing over me and everything, and it's just it's, you know. Then I rest really well, you know. We use the book of blessings very often in the family. <laughs> the impact these sons' vocations have had on their families is more than just what is sacrificed in their relationships, more than the joys of rites within the home. Each family spoke of the indelible impact their chosen path had on the spirituality of their parents. They shepherded their own parents closer to God. Well, you know, when you, when your son becomes a priest or is, in, or is in seminary, you kind of reflect on your own spiritual life. And I thought to myself, well, I, I went occasionally to Mass um, through the week, but, you know, now now I'm a daily communicant for the most part. Um, and and you, you realize when you talk to these other parents that their son's decisions also made a difference in in their faith life too they kind of you know you found you feel like you're almost been pulled up short you think I've got to uh, I've got to reconsider my faith and and explore it more deeply I think in the last 10 12 years we've definitely go to mass more often uh, we have spiritual uh, readings and prayer times that we do put emphasis on and doing each day and we try to do the rosary daily and stuff so we have incorporated a lot more focus I think on our faith since this journey began with Mark. I think that you begin become more and more prayerful and I think you automatically become more prayerful as you grow older too you know in both ways but you see it's all around you you know Inspired by a decline in recent years in the number of priests in the Archdiocese of Detroit, Archbishop Vigneron responded with a call for a year of prayer for priestly vocations. The hope is that through this, we will work toward a culture that fosters vocations to the priesthood. So what does this mean for the parents of potential priests? I would say before thinking from the mindset maybe from a parent who was hesitant about having their child, especially if it was an only son or something to do that, to just step back for a while and pray about it and not come right out negatively to the child because it seems to me that's discouraged several along of vocations along the way and so try to go interior and, 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 and give that a chance before you just rule it out and, and, and discourage that child. You need to support them, you need to trust that God is calling them, and you need to trust that if it's God's will, it, it will be fine. You know, like I said, so we're kind of 
country folk out here and taking him to Detroit and leaving him behind gates and barred fences was a little intimidating. But if there was any place that I was going to leave him that was a little less than an hour away, I felt good about that because of it was God's call. That was that was Mark's vocation. That was you know our vocation was not that we needed to just support him, and uh, that's what I would tell any parent is. It's hard. I'm not going to say it's not hard, but you, you need to trust God in this. And because if, you're struggling it, because with it, if it is God's will, yeah. you're never going to be happy. So if you go along with God's will, you're going to know it. You're going to feel it, and Holy Spirit's going to make you, please, you know feel the joy about it eventually. Detroit Stories is a production of Detroit Catholic and the Communications Department of the Archdiocese of Detroit. Find us on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, Amazon Music, or wherever you get your podcasts. This episode is brought to you by Angela Hospice, helping families provide the best care possible for the people they love. Visit us at askforangela.com.